0: Here, so down I can see see so sincere
1: all right, everybody, welcome to I was gonna say another episode, Brian, but I'm gonna say the first episode of season yes. four. so <laughs> Uh, Dr. Snodgrass, you get to be the lucky winner of episode number one. I don't know if that's a good thing or, or a scary thing, but it's <laughs> it's exciting for us. So um, this is Tell Me This. I am your co-host, Carrie Workowski, and I am once again with my co-host, Brianne Roos, and I'm so happy to have the gang back together, Breanne. I know. It's so exciting. Do you want to introduce our first guest?
0: I would love to. So we have in front of us on our Zoom screen, Reverend Jill Snodgrass, Ph.D. She's an associate professor of theology at Loyola University, Maryland, which means she is now one of our colleagues. She is a pastoral and practical theologian, a scholar activist and an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. Her research focuses on spiritual care and counseling with traditionally marginalized populations. She's the author of several books, including a recent one called Moral Injury After Abortion, Exploring the Psycho-Spiritual Impact on Catholic Women. She's the editor of two books and the author of numerous peer-reviewed articles and chapters. Dr. Snodgrass has served as a pastoral counselor in churches, shelters, transitional housing facilities, and community centers. She's also a lovely and thoughtful colleague, and we're so happy to have her here
2: today. So Jill, thank you for coming and welcome. Thank you both so much. I'm really pleased to be able to have this conversation with you.
1: Yeah, you. me too. I'm super pleased to be able to say our colleague, which, yes. which is kind of cool, all oh, something new. So it's very awesome. So Jill, yeah. we always love to start the conversation with a little bit of, um, you know, story. So I'm curious if you could share how your life, your professional experiences really sort of frame your understanding of belonging.
2: Yeah, so it's interesting, because there's a lot of people within kind of what I define as my discipline, who have done a lot of psycho spirituality or theology of belonging in their research. Um, And this is not my area of research at all. (laughs) Um, But in terms of kind of how belonging fits with my personal and professional identities, um, as Brianne said, I am ordained in the United Church of Christ, which is a liberal pro. Protestant um, tradition. And so I am Christian. But I also have a meditation practice and my personal spirituality is really informed by Buddhism. And so I think, as I kind of think through what belonging is, I approach it from this psycho spirituality, this integration of theology um, and psychology, because that's my disciplinary background. But that's also kind of where I locate myself. You know, in terms of my thinking and my ways of knowing. Um, but I also think it's important to note that I'm a white cisgender heterosexual female. And so my social locations and my own intersectional identities really influence too. you know, how I think about belonging. And then as I've been reflecting on it, kind of how I navigate in relationships and experience belonging myself, I think you can't parse those apart
1: yeah i I would I think Brian and I would absolutely agree and our the research that we're working on right now around belonging is just uh, re-emphasizing that, so I appreciate that you brought that up um, you know in in our discussion. So with that sort of frame and lens and intersectionality in mind, um I would love to hear how you sort of conceptualize belonging and and i've and I, and I will be honest with you, I've also had um colleagues and guests say, I don't really use that word belonging. So if belonging doesn't resonate with you, pick another word and sort of just talk about that sort of area, if you wouldn't mind.
2: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, theologically, I consider belonging to be kind of innate or ontological to who we are. Mm. It's what we call like a theological anthropology. Who are we in relation to God? Because I think that each of us in my belief system is God's beloved child. So we have this innate belonging, right? Just by being, we belong. But then, okay, take it out of the theological realm, practically, what does that mean? And I think, you know, it's really challenging, because we have to allow ourselves to be vulnerable, um, in order to really accept that our existence is Contingent upon these interdependent ways of being in relationships, not just with humans, but I would say like with all creation. And so true belonging requires vulnerability, I think, but it also requires responsibility because if we are going to be vulnerable and accept that our belonging is interdependent with others, then we also have to be responsible to, you know, kind of live hosp- hospitably. And to have that
1: radical sense of openness to others, mm, I love. I love that. I just this is why I love having different kinds of people on the podcast, right? I love that you're bringing your your lens. Something I hadn't thought about. I wanted to ask you a follow up, if if you wouldn't mind. Um, so you said, you know, given your your discipline and your training, belonging really is who we are. It's this sort of innate belonging just by being. And also knowing and holding in the other hand that these words like belonging are socially constructed over and over. What's your view on and I don't mean this to sound glib. I'm I'm being genuinely serious. What's the usefulness of a definition like just by being knowing that we are feeling the pressure of the socially constructed belonging word? I'm curious what you would what your response would be to that.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is something I've been reflecting on since getting the invitation to have this conversation is like, can I sit comfortably in this definition because of my social identities, right? Mm. Is it being a white, cisgender, heterosexual, female, you know, and we could go on and on with other <laughs> yeah. identities that I have that are generally privileged in society, in my culture and society cultures. Um, so I have reflected a lot on that. And I think... When I turn back to the wisdom of the Christian tradition, whether it be through the tradition or through sacred text, it's holding up a mirror to that. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is like, I have tried to check myself and say, okay, are you just saying this because of your privilege? But it's so replete throughout Christianity Mm -hmm. and honestly throughout many religious traditions Mm -hmm. that I'm like, okay, this is really what I believe of who... Mm -hmm who we are, Um, and I don't think, and maybe in 10 years or 10 days, I will think this, but I don't think I was (laughs) brought into this perspective um, in opposition to the tradition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Mm
0: -hmm. Great questions. I think I kind of know this just from your conversation, Jill, but I want to hear a little bit more about how critical you think belonging is to our relationships. So you just talked about this interdependence and kind of vulnerability and responsibility. Maybe you could expand a little bit on that.
2: Yeah, so I think um, it, you know, it is contingent on our relationships and it isn't. Mm -hmm. um it's like a both and in my way of thinking because i think inherently if we're innately or ontologically if we innately or ontologically belong then we already belong to one another just by our way of being and yet i think we constantly block that sense of belonging Mm -hmm. that way of being in relationship but also our access to feeling that um so I think some would say maybe this, you know, and as a theologian, like some would say, oh, that's because of theologically our fallen nature, our sin, that's original sin. And that's mm-hmm. now we can't be in relationship in the way we were. And they may take it back to Genesis and things like that. But I honestly, I think it's more than that. Um, and so to me, one, one thing that came to mind just this past Sunday in the lectionary of the Christian tradition Um, was the parable of the lost sheep. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is a parable I've known my whole life. Many listeners, you probably are familiar with this. The idea is that, you know, the one sheep gets away and the shepherd goes and seeks that one sheep instead of staying with the 99. And this was really relevant to people at the time. It was a, a parable that Jesus shared and one that people understood because The discipline of shepherding was so common at that time, but what I didn't really understand fully was that the one that sheep, in their nature, are prone to hiding. So they're prone Mm -hmm. to like defensive behavior. They wouldn't just go out and you know roam around waiting for the shepherd (laughs) to find them. They would they would make it more difficult. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we do. Mm -hmm. We make it more difficult for ourselves to belong. And we do that, I think, sometimes when we feel at the margins, when we don't feel like we belong, when we feel lonely, you know, whether it's a psychological thing or a spiritual thing, I think we're like that sheep who's bringing up boundaries, barriers, Mm -hmm. borders to experiencing that, you know, depth of belonging. Mm -hmm. We don't make it easy for the shepherd. (laughs)
1: i'm just a picturing yeah. i'm picturing the sheep like hiding behind a tree as the shepherd walks by yeah. like, <laughs> ducking and covering so mm-hmm. i appreciate that visual <laughs> sorry Brian, go ahead no i didn't first of all i didn't know that about the sheep and
0: their mm-hmm. tendency to hide so that yeah. kind of brings a whole new light to this Carrie, we had talked in the past about um belonging to yourself and really mm-hmm. that's the only type of belonging that you can can actually have control over um, and, and we've sort of come to this, I think, over the years, really, of, of talking about this and thinking about this and that, you know, I try to set conditions for my students to feel like they belong or others in my community to feel like they belong. But we can't really make others belong. Right. So, Jill, how do, what's what's your thought on that? And maybe like from the shepherd's perspective. So the sheep is making it hard to to belong because they're hiding what can we do as shepherds to to cultivate that connection and cultivate that belonging?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think that being somebody who practices kind of radical acceptance is the language that I would use would be like as an educator, a professor um, trying to be engage in radical acceptance, I think is really important. Um, But we don't, that goes back to kind of the issue of intent versus impact, because we don't really always know how that's going to be received by people. Mm -hmm. Um, And it may be off-putting to some who aren't experiencing a sense of belonging. um, Or, you know, just to, think in different terms here sometimes when we try to center the marginalized and make people at the margins feel at the center and feel included and belonging it's not well received right it can be um another form of kind of discrimination or microaggression in some sense Mm -hmm. so I try to practice that radical acceptance and inclusion with always as much as I can checking in with people to like say How is this for you? Mm -hmm. Um, And that in itself has a power differential oftentimes Mm -hmm. when we think about students or in those kinds of relationships.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I love love that you mentioned this notion of checking in, right? Because I think as educators and academics, the word that came up for me is feedback. And we too often, in my humble opinion, think about feedback as assessment right? Like we're giving you feedback because we're grading you. And I did a presentation a couple of summers ago during the pandemic, and I was sharing how feedback is really another opportunity to build community. Because if you use it like you're describing it, Jill, like it's a great way to just constantly check in, right? To sort of iterate on what you're doing. And so I think we often miss these huge opportunities to communicate with our students and our colleagues just via feedback. It doesn't, it it shouldn't just be an assessment, right? There's lots of things that you can draw from that feedback moment or that check-in as you described. So I'm so glad that you, you brought that up.
2: Yeah. And one thing I think about too, to kind of further that is sometimes I get stuck as an academic in thinking that that feedback is cognitive Rather than helping people to be like, okay, what is your body telling you now about do you belong? Because I think anytime we walk into a space, we have this embodied reaction to whether or not I belong in this space. Yes. And Mm -hmm. so I don't often, like with students or others, elicit feedback that's somatic in nature or Mm -hmm. anything outside, (laughs) like cognitive ways of knowing. So,
1: yeah, Mm, I think we could do a whole hour on just feedback, like the art of feedback.
2: (laughs) Yeah. in all
0: different senses. Right.
1: (laughs) Yes. Because I was thinking about, you know, the old school long, long, long ago when we used to actually um, give written feedback and people people eventually started saying, don't use red pen. Because it, it elicits a feeling, right? And so how it, it it's just really interesting to think about how it's evolved, right? Our practices around feedback have evolved. And Brianne, for better or for worse, has has seen firsthand some of my feedback. And I try really hard to make feedback a conversation, not a uh, you did this wrong kind of thing. So yeah, so it's really, really fun. I think in the same spirit of this notion of of feedback, Jill, I'm really curious, because I think this is sometimes we we. We know what it feel like feels like what it happens, but we're not sure how to describe it. And that is, like, how do you know when belonging shows up in your relationships? Like, do you, as a, as a leader, as a reverend, as all the wonderful hats that you wear? Like, what are your sort of signals that ah, it's 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 here or it's it's wor- it's working, for lack of a better word, there?
2: Yeah, I think that. Um... In a relational way, there's like this deep trust that happens Mm -hmm. and we experience that again, kind of in known ways, but in felt ways too. Um, And so when I think we allow, when we use radical acceptance and help people to know that they inherently belong, innately belong, um, then we're more likely to have that interdependence and that level of trust. Mm. And so I see that, you know, oftentimes with students and with friends and with family because, you know, in counseling, like we say, (laughs) non-judgmental, unconditional positive regard and all these things that honestly, like maybe they're positive and possible, but maybe they're not too. Right. Mm. We are inherently mm. judging people. And so we're going to make assessments and we're going to put people in boxes. And so if we can trust one another, and so I do kind of t- try to own that myself and say, like, yeah, I'm going to be, you inherently belong and I'm judging you. I'm sizing you up because this, we assess one another. Mm-hmm. And trust me that I'll be disclosive and um, try to be mutual and relational with you. Yeah, Nothing.
1: and and this this might seem like a really basic question, but again, Brian and I really try hard in this podcast to to really, I don't know, mince it down into really clear sort of, you know, being able to apply it immediately, right? So people can really sort of tangibly understand this. So when you say like a deep trust, like, can you say a little bit more about that? Like, what is it? what does it look like in practice? Like, how do you really know? I mean, I know you can't hundred percent know, but like, how do you have signals that we are close to deep trust or we're in that, like, what does that look like for you?
2: Yeah. I think in a large group setting, I'm just kind of going back to the classroom. I think it's making again, that kind of feedback, eliciting the feedback, because oftentimes I make assumptions based on um, the way people comport themselves or the affect on their face and things. And it's like, I have to check that out mm. because there that may look like trust to me and not be trust, or it may look like distrust and actually be something that a student's concerned about that happened a week ago or yeah. who knows what. Um, so I think a lot of it, again, goes back to checking in mm. to see if that's a mutual trust. Um, And then we get to the point too of like, I have to acknowledge to myself when I don't trust a situation, Mm -hmm. whether I'm the person in power and leadership, like in a classroom and I'm just not going to let my guard down or be my vulnerable, authentic self because there's some way that I feel threatened also, or I feel like I don't belong in some way.
1: Yeah. Oh, when you said, when you were saying that Jill, I was thinking and Brianna laughed, I was thinking about Brene Brown and the stories we tell ourselves, right? Like I've, I've done enough of my own work to sometimes know I need to ask myself, is that a story I'm telling myself or is that the reality of the situation? Right. And I'm sort of hearing a similar, you know, I, I mean, how many, how many times have the three of us been in a situation with students where a student might make a what I perceive as like a not so happy face. And so now I'm like internalizing all of that and it comes to find out there's something else going on. Right. It's not, a, it's not even about the class that they're sitting in. Okay. So I love that sort of, I wrote down when you said that I wrote almost like investigative, right? Like really being just questioning and digging until you really get to the bottom of that, what's going on. And so I really appreciate that. Mm, so good.
0: So we wanted to circle back a little bit to where you started with the idea of belonging to yourself. And you shared something that was really beautifully said, but that we innately and inherently belong. And I would love for you to just share a little bit more about what that means. Like, what does that mean to you, Jill, as a person who's kind of walking a very real walk in all sorts of ways in your life, um, what does it mean to belong to yourself and how does that show up?
2: Yeah, it's interesting because I can say that cognitively, but how do I walk it? Well, that's a different right. matter, right? Like I have to <laughs> <Yeah>. constantly <laughs> remind myself that I can live this out in, in my walking. Um, but I think part of that gets to this issue of identity, because especially as a female, you know, there's all this research that shows that when you ask a woman, oh, who are you? They tend to tell you their relationships rather than, you know, and, and oftentimes relationships with a person, not with a job or something. Mm -hmm. And so I try to help invite myself into being in relationship with fluid identity. And to think like, yes, I'm a mother now. And maybe I won't always be a mother. I don't want that for myself. But maybe there will be a time, you know, where I'm not actively parenting. And that will be a loss. Or right now I'm an academic and maybe there's a time where I won't be. So whatever it is that I'm in relationship with, like that's a fluid identity. And that's kind of where some of the my Buddhist leanings come in with this idea of non-attachment.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I think we equate oftentimes belonging with feeling secure and attached in a psychological sense, but then mm-hmm. also kind of in a spiritual sense beyond that is this way of being where you're not clinging so mm-hmm. desperately to what this identity mm-hmm. is. And so cognitively, that's where I would like to be, <laughs> where I walk. It's not always in that space. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the Maya Angelou quote, Carrie, we talk about it a lot. Um, the idea of belonging everywhere and nowhere at the same time connects, you know, Jill, with what you're saying. I I sort of understand it cognitively. I I am not there. I, I want to be in a place where I have that, like, you know, detachment for lack of a better word but not detachment um i'm not quite sure how to phrase it but i feel that's that that identity and the pull to the identity connected to those relationships so strongly and i understand it in my mind what you're describing but i'm not quite sure how that feels you know how that would be
2: is my existence contingent upon this Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. whatever the this Is Is it contingent upon this particular job or this particular relationship or this particular location or space or even way of feeling? And at the end of the day, theologically, no, it's not. Right. We want that feeling. I totally get that. And I mean, I that's why I say it's cognitive versus walking because when I walk, I want (laughs) that feeling. I want to feel like I belong and belong because of those things, but it's not contingent on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to, I think for the next week, Jill, I'm going to be thinking about the phrase fluid identity Mm -hmm. because I just, that I'm not there. I have a, it's, I mean, I feel like your whole life is a journey and a process. There's never sort of an end point. Right. So I, I'm going to walk with that for a while because I, I love the idea of that. And I love that notion of non-attachment to that. So I'm going to, I appreciate that you brought that up because that's going to be something for me to. I might put it on a sticky and put it on my computer
2: screen <laughs> and think about it. Well, I know we both have done research into what I call liminality, right? Yes. This is in between mm. phases and stuff. And that's part of it. Like yeah. you, you don't feel solidly maybe in one identity or another or in one yes. capacity or space or another. And so, yeah, being okay in that is challenging.
1: Yeah. That's immediately where I went. I mean- I know this, this is going to be a, probably a big conversation for a different day, but I think the the more I sit with that research and, and the work the little bit of work I've done, the more I realize that we actually spend most of our lives in the in-between moments. We just don't want to admit it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're running to the next mile marker or waypoint, whatever it is, instead of just sitting with those moments. So it's kind of interesting.
2: Yeah. And I think we tell ourselves like, oh, when I get then to the end of this Liminal phase or whatever, then I'll feel like I belong or I will belong. That's right, right? And no, you already do. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> if you don't feel it well, now, you're not when you have finished that one thing. Yeah. Yeah, the no, you
0: already do. I mean, that's the message. Yeah, and that's what I would love to. Yeah, for that you know that to be the
1: take home. I mean, Absolutely. That's incredible, right? Yeah. And we know
0: it, we say it, but you're expressing it in a different way. I really appreciate your perspectives.
1: Yeah, I want to circle back because I. Um, I love thinking about language and, and, you know, I think this, this sort of feeds into the the larger conversation around, you know, feedback and investigating these stories. When you say radical acceptance, I, I think I know what you mean. And I think I feel what you mean, but can you just like, for the benefit of me and Brianne and our audience, can you just unpack that a little bit more for us?
2: Yeah. So I think, um. That term kind of comes from my Christian orientation because Mm -hmm. there's within Christianity, this idea of radicalism theologically that doesn't have to do necessarily with political movements, (laughs) although it tends to be radical in that way because of how it's practiced. Um, But we think about like radical hospitality, like welcoming everybody, not because they belong, but just because they are. And radical acceptance. So Dorothy Day was um, the founder of the Catholic Worker Movement or co-founder, and she really promoted this idea of radical hospitality. And she would treat people not as if they were Jesus, but they were Jesus.
0: Mm. And
2: that's where it's like radical. Like We don't go about our lives. We might say, oh, I I can see the divine in you, or I can see the Christ-like nature in you as though that's part but that's very th- different than saying like okay you are god or you are jesus that's radical. Yeah. And so when we think about radical acceptance it's like i'm aiming to accept you without any qualifiers without any knowledge of even who you are. Mm-hmm. Um Father Greg Father Gregory Boyle of Homeboy mm-hmm. Industry also <laughs> talks about belonging, you know, in similar ways because with the work he does with um people coming out of gangs and all it's like i'm not I'm accepting you. I'm not looking at any of your transgressions or your crimes. I'm looking at you as a beloved child of God and radically accepting you with Mm -hmm. all of it, not in spite of it.
1: Yeah. Am am I right to remember? He actually uses that phrase in his books. Is that
0: he does? Yeah. Radical kinship and radical acceptance. Yeah. I feel like now that
1: you said his name, I feel like I've read that several times in his books. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's super helpful. I appreciate um, you giving us that, that backstory on that. Gosh, I think that's the hardest
0: part. I mean, I just to look at somebody and to just accept them and to love them because they are, and to to filter out all of the things that we've been so ingrained to sort of categorize and rate and judge and yeah. It's it's an interesting rub of um something that seems very hard and also also what could be more simple. You know, and I think the simple isn't easy in that case, but
1: yeah, and I mean asked, it's, it's you know. yeah. I think it's interesting because I know we're we're gonna pick your brain a little bit, Jill, about some more strategies. I think what's interesting that's also rubbing up against this, and I don't think we talk about this enough in the professional learning literature for faculty and teachers. We often talk about best practices for PD. Is what over time not episodic you know, long running. And what I think we don't necessarily explicitly say in that work is it's, those are best practices, not just from a sort of learning theory standpoint, but also because everything we're talking about here, trust, belonging, it takes time. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. one, one, you know, break, uh, what do you call them? Icebreaker, you know, in one PD is not building belonging right it's so it's so I think there's that other piece that like we're always so crunched for time and we need to stop being crunched for time like we got to like prioritize but anyway that's me getting on my soapbox about (laughs) intentional about time (laughs) well it's a
2: funny paradox though because on the one hand just like Brian said like what could be more difficult and more simple what would take more time and what could just be instantaneous yeah because if we actually got to the point of really practicing radical acceptance, it would just happen immediately.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I mean, there's I think, a lot of
2: unlearning though, right? Yes. You know? That's, yeah. and
1: that's what it is. It's like, so we all enter these spaces with a set of luggage, right? And <laughs> And that luggage and our experiences and our identities and the socially constructed words we use make it almost unfortunately i would say sometimes next to impossible to just believe that you are radically accepted right um people are often skeptical <laughs> of that um yeah. yeah very interesting add to
2: that like the way that we're packaged right these mm. bodies that we come in oh, so yeah whether oh. it's an issue of race or size or perceived gender or sexual orientation whatever like you it becomes a
1: barrier. It's so, it's so true. So true. So yeah. I've honestly lost track of the questions because we're having such a good conversation. <laughs> Brianne, hopefully you know where we are in this. So <laughs> I do know where we are and and we've touched on it a little bit, but I don't want to let Jill go
0: without asking a little bit more. So yeah, um, in terms of strategies and approaches, because like Harry said, we like to find that balance of like thinking big picture theoretically. And then also what can we sort of do to to implement these things? You mentioned feedback a lot. And I think there's a lot to talk about and unpack about feedback. Is there, are there any other strategies or approaches that you take to cultivate belonging in your relationships?
2: Yeah, I think trying to practice good boundary setting is Mm. a practice Mm. that I often try to do. Um, And I say practice because I really do work at that because I think like this true way of embracing our innate belonging means that we can establish healthy boundaries and not face consequence for that, like work it through. Um, And so both practicing being accepting of other people's boundaries, even if they don't make sense to us, Mm -hmm. or we don't share them. And then also, you know, trying really hard to practice our own. And part of that comes from my background of, you know, some elements of codependence and enmeshment in my family of (laughs) origin and (laughs) Things that, you know, didn't always support creating healthy boundaries. But I think when you know you truly belong and you are like you belong simply by your being,
0: Mm.
2: then it's like, okay, well, what do I need? Where are my boundaries and how am I going to be in this relationship? Because I don't have to. It takes work and practice, but not pleasing, you know, Mm. not people pleasing or some of those things that some of us are i myself oh yeah oh yeah
1: we're we're all we could all start a support group on that one i think (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah
1: Uh, let's talk about boundaries oh my gosh yeah yeah
0: so feedback boundary setting um i love to think about this under the umbrella of radical acceptance Mm -hmm. and i hadn't thought about that before because i think we've talked about you know those sorts of strategies but just with a different overarching lens and theme
1: Well, I also, I mean, I also appreciate because when you said boundaries, I think from my perspective and talking with um, colleagues and students, setting boundaries usually refers to, or we think it refers to what we share and don't share, right? Like that's a really easy way to think, but I love how you folded into that people pleasing because that is also setting boundaries, right? Like I don't, I don't think sometimes we just think of those things as our, sort of pathologies that we've grown up with, right? That we're trying to 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 manage and take care of. But I appreciate that that is a part of boundary setting and you are um permitted to set those kinds of boundaries, right? That that you're that's allowable and permissible and and self-care, really at the end of the day, that's part of self-care. So mm-hmm. I was re- really glad to hear you explicitly say that in there. I have lots of notes here. I <laughs> know <laughs> yeah, we're both seriously writing. Yeah.
2: I was just going to add, I think another practice is like, you know, intentionally cultivating those kind of boundary crossing relationships, Mm -hmm. because of all the ways that we tend to seek friendships with people who are like us, you know, and so there's so much great research and literature available about how, you know, these relationships across boundary differences, whatever they may be, don't always happen organically. So it has to be with some intention. Mm -hmm. And then I think the more we're engaged in those, the more, the better invitation we have to really see our innate belonging in that theological way, (laughs) and to really live it out. Um,
1: Oh, so many places. I feel like I need a a reflective pause to take in all of this wonderful um, knowledge. And so we always love and you'll I think uh, Jill appreciate this as a researcher. We always like to include a question. That just offers our guests an opportunity to share anything else that wasn't covered today to give you an opportunity to share freely so i, I want to invite you now if, if there's anything you want to share with our audience or us we would love to hear more
2: yeah i think um just this kind of sense of being able to trust from my understanding that everybody innately belongs is held in God's love is God's you know precious child I think that's really where I go mentally and spiritually with this sense of belonging and then when the rubber meets the road and you have to walk it out right and try that's really hard and probably having um this is not a practice I have done, but having some accountability Mm. partners in this, you know, whether it's a dialogue partner with one person or in a small group to try to really make this a practice. Um, I think oftentimes we don't reflect on these practices. And so it's kind of like pushing it from the head down to the feet to really live it out. And then engaging in the heart reflection in order to say, am I doing this? Mm. Um, Because even when I've, listen to content podcasts or different things with people like father Greg Boyle, who really are living this out. Sometimes it seems like this pie in the sky lofty ideal that I could never be that way or do this. And I, so I think sometimes having community around that can help us to say, no, we have growing opportunities and failures that we, um, you know, experience as well as successes. And we, I don't know, there's, back to your issue of time, Carrie, it's like, we don't make time for this, right? We don't have intentionality and in time to really say, how am I being in my belonging?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm teaching this great class this fall. I feel so lucky. It's um, reflective school leadership, and we're really engaging in, you know, helping students and scaffolding students to really design a practice of self-discovery. And for you to say, like, this requires intentional practice, it's true, right? Like if you if you want to take on a certain whatever your language is, a habit of mind or a mindset or, or an additional identity, you have to really be intentional about what does that look like? What are the habits related to that kind of way of being? And then what are the routines and practices that help me to get to those habits, right? Like it is that intentional. It doesn't just, it's not just a wave of a magic wand and you suddenly are that person. So I just, I so love and appreciate that you brought us to that, Jill, because that's what it takes at the end of the day, those those little steps and some accountability for sure. So yeah, I appreciate yeah, that. Maybe. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's just so fundamental, right? I mean, what could be more basic for lack of a better term than belonging to yourself or belonging to God and therefore belonging to yourself. To me, it just has to be first, right? Like it it goes back to so much of what we've talked about in our classroom practices of establishing that, setting those conditions, trying to engage students in activities that help them to see that that's how we view them and then moving into the content. And this conversation just, I don't know, reinforces the importance of those minutes that we spend on those activities that can feel sometimes like, Oh, do I really have to do it today? And the answer is, I think, yes. yes. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: Yeah. And another thing we haven't even talked about, but that I think I haven't read a lot on this is like the belonging aspect to creation. You know, we've talked a lot about like the interdependence that we have with other humans, but if we extrapolate this and really go to the heart of what I think belonging is and say, no, we, we, we are have a sense of belonging with creation and creation belonging to us and their interdependence mm-hmm. in that way too. And then we're, I am very rarely reflective on those practices. Yeah. Yeah. I,
0: mean, I spent a year living on the Navajo reservation and that was something that just really opened my eyes. I mean, I had never had any sense of connection to creation to the earth and it's so fundamental to their belief system and it was fascinating and really eye-opening and i i my approach changed a little bit and my lens changed because of that um really was very grounding in sort of what our my cultural upbringing was and in relation to the earth which was not very much connection there at all um but of course we should you know it's primal like it's the ground we walk on is the place we live so I'm glad you connected that. We haven't really talked about that much, Carrie.
1: No, we haven't. I mean, yeah. there's so there's so many, you know, avenues to explore with this idea that we don't yeah. we often run out of time. It made me think and I won't articulate it nearly as beautifully as as she did, but I just finished reading The Lightmaker's Manifesto and in the book she talks about I think it was Gandhi who said she talks even about the the sort of interconnectedness of understanding that even our gifts and talents, we're sort of the the sort of holders of those gifts. We don't own those, but that mm-hmm. they are given to us and we have a responsibility to take care of them. And so it's really, it's sort of an interesting, again, similar, I think, Jill, to what you're talking about with nature, like even the things that we hold so dearly, perhaps They're not even really ours to own there are, you know, we're sort of the holder of those to use in the best way we can. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a theme that keeps coming back in different sort of contexts. So I I love that.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, theologically from a Christian tradition, people would say that's because God gave you those gifts mm. and talents, right? Yeah, You're utilizing them, effectuating them to the best you can in this time on earth, but they're not, they're not yours in a possessive sense. Yep. And I think that kind of bring comes full circle to this understanding of innate belonging, like you innately belong because you are gods and yeah. your life is here for you to use, you know, to, toward yep. that purpose.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I know I can't speak for Brianne, but I know that this conversation and this experience of being with the two of you is going to be just the sort of jolt and injection of goodness and joy and thoughtfulness that I needed to, to move through the rest of the week and probably after that. So I am certain that our audience will feel that. And I think Jill, going back to your, your point around accountability partners, I do think that there is, um, I don't know, just great benefit and love and gifts to being in communion with other people, even just having these kinds of conversations. I feel like there's growth and hope and opportunity and connection. And so hopefully people listening will feel that sense of connection, because I know I certainly have today. And so Uh, Jill, Dr. Snodgrass, I want to thank you for being on the podcast and sharing, um, so much about your experience and your expertise and your wisdom. It's been an absolute, uh, absolute delight. So, um, and Brianne, as always, I appreciate you being here as well. Absolutely. Our pleasure. Yeah, it was fun. Thank
2: you so much, both to Carrie and Brianne for the opportunity to have a delightful conversation and to reflect on this and to feel, yeah that sense of instant belonging that we hope for <laughs> in living together like minds and hearts and reflecting on something that's so important to who Absolutely. we are
1: alright everybody thank you so much for listening to the first episode of season 4 of Tell Me This and be well everybody thanks under the glaciers, your last year
0: Sunday searching.